that's not a good recipe for a productive day at work. Sell your soul to the devil and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 59 and my name's Jack. And my name's Nick. And today we're also joined by Cordero Mesnerich. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Awesome. I mean, uh, just in case, we've just finished recording the blowout bonus episode that's available on our Patreon. Um, So, you know, where Cordero was was also a guest, so, you know. There's no reason to pretend that we just have to go through the through the chit chat. How are you doing? How has your day been? Because I haven't, uh, yeah, because I forgot. <laughs> so, yeah, so In two hours, so much changes, you know. Yeah, exa- exactly. So you know, I'm homeless now. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so so it's it's a big day today because uh, we're officially launching uh, four decades of the Palma series or the Palma March. For short, <clears throat> this needs to be a thing. The Palm March. This should be something that people on, de- on Letterbox do, like I don't know, like a nice marathon. The Palma. And like, someone should make it a thing. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so if you're a subscriber to our Patreon, you should know that we have released a few days back a tie into this series where we talked about blowout with Cordero here as well. So we've just wrapped recording this, and but the, the blowout episode will have been released a few days after, uh, before this. So go and listen. And um, also, I might as well mention that next week we'll also release our March retrospective that is connected to the series, albeit a little bit less directly. So over on our Patreon, you'll be able to listen to a bonus discussion about three Dario Argento films, namely Deep Red, Tenebrae, and Phenomena. Always want to say Phenomena. I don't know why. <laughs> but then, Philomena. Philomena. <laughs> The look yeah. of disgrace from the Italian, just, just like no. Stop yeah, it. I mean, I should have. I mean, the look of disgrace is, starts whenever he he hears me say deep red instead of profondo rosso. But you know, I love how the, how the tone co- like changes so much. Hmm? It's like I love it. It's like yeah, it's it's not deep red. It's profondo rosso. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like the phone talking. Yes, I mean, I'm, I I. Sh- what I want to do one day is get a Roadcaster Pro, so I would have um, like a I could put sound bites in there, so I would have like a like a Google Translate woman going like Profondo Rosso. <laughs> would be great. Anyway, uh, so we'll be doing this. So what I'm saying is, get over there, subscribe. Patreon.com/slash/uncutgemspod is the place. Three bucks a month unlocks all bonus podcasts, and at this point, there are seven extra shows to listen to over there, and then there will be legacy content from the old clappers uh patron coming as well because they ties in so yeah yeah we've ag- agreed with clapper's leadership i'll be bringing i'll bring in the uh the circling the matrix retrospective tony scott retrospective satoshi khan and i don't know what else um yes. so yeah so this yeah there's gonna be stuff to listen to you know some good discussions over there no agreed yeah. good yeah. memories <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure if I want to. I mean, maybe one day I'll bring in, bring back the Nolan debate. No. The for some reason we wanted to start talking about Christopher Nolan cinema as a context in in context of just talking about his work, and it turned into a one by one survey of his films that took six hours. 
That sounds and legendary. The, yeah, I, I hope. that's one way to put it. <laughs> that's one way to put it. But then it was also recorded on Zoom. So what we're doing here on Zencaster is so easy because once we finish recording, everything's kind of just in MP3s. On Zoom, once we've finished recording, it would compress everything in, in transform. And oh, no. the six-hour recording took like two hours to do this. So I'm sitting there watching the sun rise. <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck are we doing here? Anyway. It's just I'm, my life. It's just, it's just like, and then I'm just like, I have to edit this now. It's a six hour long recording and I have to just, and at this point I'm just like, fuck this, I'm not going through everyone, everyone's ums and ass. Like this is going to be, uh, you know, I'm embracing the ums and ass from the, uh, this, this, this was, the, this was, I think the turning point for me just where I'm just like, I'm not even going to care. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Because I do these um, uh, and I just who I don't care. Like you know, at least I you know I speak like a human, so that's what I'm. Anyway, hey. subscribe to Patreon, <laughs> patreoncom dreams <laughs> part three bucks a month. That's that's what I do. So, and also, uh, the first retrospective in in there that we have is the '90s post Tarantino films uh, is free of charge, so you don't have to subscribe to listen to get a taste of what we do in there. So we talked about the Boondock Saints go and the way of the gun in there. So I don't know. I don't know why I'm mentioning this. It was months ago, but you know, it's it's a free one to, to listen to. <laughs> so, um, I think I'm high. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not high. Yeah. Anyway, so support us that way. You'll be supporting uh, our journey through cinema, and you'll have stuff to listen to while you get on with your day, or whatever you're doing. Driving. I don't know. Vacuuming. Whatever. Pooping. I'm, okay, I'm not gonna make personal comments at this point. Although I, I do have a penchant for to- toilet humor. Anyway, um, and of course, <laughs> if you want to support us without commenting to anything, just you can still buy us a coffee over at coffee.com/slash/uncutgemspod. So we can you can do that. Anyways, on with the show. Before I divulge too much, uh, <laughs> today we're starting the department deliberations by talking about his 1974 outing titled "Phantom of the Paradise." I got a singing lessons. I taught how to dress. I got her a first club job, and I paid off a calmness. He did a beautiful story on her. I told her who to be nice to, who to fed her the drugs to get her through the road tours. I made her record a hit, and I sold it to you. You made it the biggest thing in rock. So now what does she do? She fires us, cancels her Vegas date, and wants to give free concerts for starving gook orphans. She was more than a piece to me. She was the light of my life, and now she's gone. We sued her. We couldn't lose. We had her in an ironclad contract. It was a lock. It was over. It was closed. I even bribed the judge. He ruled against us, said we couldn't sign anyone to a life contract. Said we were a disgrace to the profession. A disgrace, he said. I was the one that made her the money-grubbing whore that she was, and he calls me a disgrace. What do you want me to do? Break her. Is that all? Isn't that enough? And that is nothing. Written and directed by Brian De Palma, Phantom and of the Paradise stars William Finley, Paul Williams, Jessica Harper and a few other people in what can only be described as a hyper-stylized gothic rock opera with a horrific slant. Horrorific slant? About a composer, Winslow Leach, who would be a great name for a character, Winslow Leach, uh, whose talent cl- catches the eye of an iconic music producer, Swan. However, Swan isn't interested in developing Winslow's talent anywhere near as much as he is in appropriating his life's work, which is a massive rock opera based on Johann Wolfgang's Goethe's Faust, among other things. 
Uh, betrayed and wronged and disfigured in a horrible accident, Winslow eventually embarks on a quest to exact revenge on the duplicitous swan who might not be who he says he is. Da, da, da. Now, Phantom of the Paradise came together as a thoroughly independent venture and once completed was sold to Fox for two million bucks and was De Palma's de facto eighth film, I think, and probably could be seen as either an oddball outlier in his filmography or a turning point that set him on a path that saw him work with Portrait on Obsession and then Carrie and so on and so forth. Blowout <clears throat> that we just talked about. And although I feel we'll get to it almost immediately, it is worth mentioning that at this point that even in the Palmer's budding catalogue, Phantom of the Paradise stood out like a sore thumb, being a formal musical full of wild characterizations, winks, nods, and references. Unfortunately, the audiences and critics of the time did not buy in what De Palma was selling and failed to turn up for Phantom of the Paradise. Critics dismissed it as childish. Gene Sisko, which I have a bone to pick with him anyway, but he's dead, so it's kind of weird. But he did not, <laughs> he did not like, he doesn't like anything. He did not like the film Satire of the Rock scene, which he saw as a joke in its own right, and the, bo- and the movie bombed at the box office. However, over time, it developed a stalwart cult following that maybe in some way mimics that of the Rocky Horror Picture Show with fancy dress screenings, sing-alongs, and whatnot. So, let's just go. What is your opinion on Phantom of the Paradise? Is it an infantile failure, an exercise in camp worthy of cosplay culture it has fostered, or maybe it is an out-and-out masterpiece? What is your take on Phantom of the Paradise? Coldero, how about you give us your take? What's your, what's your take? It's an out-and-out masterpiece, but I do absolutely understand somebody approaching this material and and being like, what the hell am I watching? (laughs) You know, it is. And I mean, you said we were probably going to get right into it. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) This is the weirdest movie in De Palma's filmography, right? Like that unquestionably. Every other movie I've seen, I feel like I can track. (laughs) <laughs> there are a couple movies that he has that I can be like, well, this obviously led to this and this led to this. And, and, and these ideas kind of met here. You know, uh, I, I thought Blowout and Snake Eyes, actually uh, watching those kind of close together. I really could see how those threads crossed. Mm. Um, Phantom of the Paradise. I I don't even know how to compare that to other movies. I don't know if there is a lot of movies you can compare it to. It's just an oddball, bizarre journey into music exploitation, uh, literary classics, and like pop culture music. It's it's so weird, but I love it. I just absolutely love it. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, we're, we're gonna dig into some. I'm gonna dig into your psyche in just two minutes, but let, let's be, let's just hear from from our sponsor. <laughs> just let's like hear from <laughs> let's just hear from Nick first. <laughs> what do you You're think right, Yaku. You're just high on life. So tired. No, because blowout's amazing. We just talked about it. Oh, spoilers! Subscribe to our Patreon. Anyway, we've never Ooh. talked about blowout. I have never seen that movie. It's such a blowout. Same. <laughs> it's such a phantom of the paradise anyway phantom of paradise it's again like many the palma movies the first time i watched this i didn't i enjoyed it i didn't really connect to it on a deeper level revisiting it i had a lot of fun i have to agree this might just be his most energetic and vibrant film in the first half it's just going and going and going. It's like changing location, changing characters. It has entire shots just devoted to 
to to one set that's never going to come up ever again in the movie. It's insane. It's absolutely insanity. And I I love the references. I love this pseudo like Faust meets Phantom of the Opera with like German expressionism and and the Frankenstein monster, like all those different horror Dorian Gray. Orion Gray, like all of those just intersecting into one another. It's beautiful. I do, I don't still love this because I think it loses itself a bit too much in the third act, like towards the end, where it gets lost a bit too much in like the mythology and how everything works. There are a couple scenes that are a bit over long for me that keep it from being like properly a, a riot from beginning to end. But still, it is a beautiful outlier in an excellent filmography. Oh, we'll get to these scenes that are a bit long, right? We will. <laughs> <Anyway. move. laughs> I'll say this. This was a f- my first time watching this. This was a blind spot Ooh. for me. Because wow. I think I've seen pretty much everything around this film. So I've seen Carrie, I've seen Sisters, I've seen, I've seen Obsession. And this was just the one in that sort of era that I was just like, oh, I haven't seen Phantom of the Paradise. Wow. Oh, let's just make an episode out of this. So now I have to. <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, this just—it's half my life. I, like w- with the, with the, <laughs> with this show, it's either like half of the film we're we're doing here. It's because it's kind of like oh, it'll be cool to rewatch and talk about with someone, and then another one was like I have never seen this, and I and I have a Blu-ray, so I need to make my money somewhere. So let's do it. <laughs> like it's burning a hole in my watch list. I need to get rid of. <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. 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 So I watched this, and I was. Uh, let's just say I didn't know what to expect really so I put it on and I'm just watching this and the the first half is a bit weird it's a bit jarring as in tonally very sort of we're we're gonna get to it but it's it it feels a bit odd and then it eventually finds its footing and then holy shit this movie rocks (laughs) it's just put it this way this this movie is just something else I don't know and then I totally agree this is something that if someone, you know, I, I don't know, if if I were, were I don't know, if, if, if I were to tr- be transported to 1972, uh, having just um, uh, exited the screening of Sisters, I think it was 1972, and, and someone yes. asked me, so what, like a time traveler asked me, so what do you think the Palmer's going to do next? A film, uh, a, a film about, I don't know, um, Whatever the hell this is, I don't know. A film about about a sound guy just uh, doing 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 a in a paranoid sort of thriller situation, uh, maybe a rear window knockoff, or maybe a weird musical um, inspired by Faust. Which one do you think? And I'll be I will probably say like probably not that last one, right? Is that that last one's a joke? <laughs> now all three. <laughs> it's just, but yeah, it. It's such a weird film, and I'm. But the more I think about it, I, the more I realize that it's probably incre- incredibly personal, as well. It's, I don't know. It's it, aesthetically, it's such a beast. It's such an art deco sort of screaming, jazzy, sort of experience that's super hyper stylized. And then, narratively speaking and thematically speaking, this this film has a shit ton of things to say that are relevant for the time, that are relevant today, and I think we're going to get some of it because I have notes. Um, and also, I feel like this film is kind of in all, against all odds, even though because it, it has been a failure that only has been reappraised 
after a long while, it's incredibly influential, I would say. I won't put it that way in its Absolutely. own right. So, yeah, I, yeah. So, usually we kind of just try to kind of ease our, you know, like, you know, like dip our toes in this, in this conversation by just talking about why people didn't get it. I think it's kind of obvious why they didn't get it, <laughs> but but we might as well get to it anyway. But first thing, I just, I just, I, I'm dying to know, Cordero, why, what makes you think that this is your, this, this is the, this is the De Palma film for you? What's going on in here? Like, I want to, I want to dig into your psyche a little bit. <laughs> I, you know. I think you can answer it probably really simply. It's so strange. I could I could show this to to somebody and just knock their socks off. Like <laughs> in in a way that like I've shown people a racer head. I, I showed my friend this who I, I showed a racer head and uh, they looked at me like I was insane. They're like, this is the strangest, the weirdest movie you've ever shown me in your life. I was like, how is that? Fatherhood. It's about fatherhood. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, how is this? How is this possible? This is stranger than a racer head. But honestly, when, while rewatching it, 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 it's so in your face, it's so bold. Uh, and you don't see that a lot. I mean, and De Palma is like, when he takes over a production, it's, it's all, he steers it, you know, there, you feel it. There's no pushback. There's no anything. It's, it's everything that he wants, but then you watch Phantom of the Paradise and it's just even, it's even more so that like, there is just nobody telling this, this man, no, there's nobody (laughs) saying this is strange. This is weird. This is too much. He is just driving full force into this movie. But that was an indie film, right? So I think he had, yeah, he had, I he had say, a, a, a lot of control, right, over what was yeah. going on. Yeah, I, I, still though, it's just a, it, it's such a strange, it's just a strange movie. It's a strange movie to try and sell or to do anything with, you know. It's, I'd love to, <laughs> I, like, I'd love to sit in the room while he's pitching this idea. I imagine it's something like uh, that story the Wachowskis pitching to Will Smith, you know, where they're they're like. Uh, uh, you go and you're jumping in the air and you go and the camera goes around and he's just like what are you talking about that sounds insane i don't i you aren't (laughs) explaining this like that's the only way i can imagine de palma (laughs) like this coming across to people they're just like this man is clinically insane he's not making any sense here i mean what i would like from reality (laughs) what, what i would like to be is a fly on the wall in the room where you're pitching this to your friends uh guys we we should totally watch this. Where is it? You'll see. <laughs> Trust like, me. Like it's not one of those when I, like someone asks me because like like people like where I work like people would kind of know me that I'm a bit of a sort of like a filmy guy. So we just think, oh, what would you recommend? And uh, I have this sort of at least the politeness of not recommending shit that I like because I know it's just like yeah. I'll I'll just say like I'll just like oh. I'll just ask and say, name me three films, three three recent film films that you like, and they'll tell me some. Okay, I know. Okay, well, free guys, what you want? Okay, (laughs) (laughs) or something, right? Um, Yeah, because like to me, this would be kind of just like trying to convince your your family to sit down uh, on the sofa and watch Sallow together, (laughs) like Antichrist or something, or Antichrist. It's educational. It's a a love story. (laughs) It's just. It's just like ah, oh, like I don't know. Just sit down with your wife and say, "I'm in the mood to watch a musical. I have a musical for you. Here's this." <laughs> and then you put this on, and then you'll be like, "This, this hey, that's me." 
This isn't anything I thought this would be. This is a musical, really? I mean, it is. There's music. It's original music, and there, there's a lot of singing. And then there was just, but this is weird. This is weird. No, oh, this is a perfect. It. It's a perfect segue because we just did music like a musical February theme with Mamma Mia, Cats, and kind of Showgirls. And this is a, it's a nice segue, you know. And a retrospective full of actual musicals as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good stuff. It's yeah. such a bizarre bonkers batshit movie and it's easily the palma at his most light at his most fun it's it's delightful it's utterly delightful to see everything unfold it has this manic energy about it where it's just jumping from scene to scene to character to character to song to song oh it's it's hard to just pin it down and even it's the use of its references it's just all over the place in a very loose and fun way it's, it's a great blind watch, too. It's another mm. one that if you don't know... I mean, I went in knowing this was a musical. <laughs> <laughs> I got scared. I, I, I went in. It's the Phantom of the Paradise. Oh. <laughs> knocked over I, the microphone. Uh, anyway, you were saying... I, I went into this movie and I felt like, uh, you know, all I knew about it was uh, was was the Phantom character uh, inspired uh, Guts in Berserk, like that kind of mm-hmm. outfit. And I knew it was a musical and I knew it was Brian De Palma. And I feel like I <laughs> I I still went in basically blind. Like, I you know, it the movie like I can define it as a musical. We were talking about this with De Palma and his, and his genres and how you just can't like pinpoint them. I can define it as a musical. Absolutely. It fits the parameters. But every time I watch this movie, every time I think about this movie, musical <laughs> never comes to mind. <laughs> never does. It's a, it's a Gothic love story. It's a musical. It's a rock opera. It's a, mm. there's these Jalo Hitchcockian elements in it too, because why the hell not? Cause he, and it's like, it's, it's essentially, again, it's like steeped in voyeurism because again, he, this guy's been working through his sort of childhood obsessions with spying on his dad as he was banging a maid or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, this is his demon, right? Know. Yeah, so that that like, it's plenty of these moments, but then I totally agree. Like it fits the confines of one genre the most out of everything that I've seen the Palma do, I think. And in that spirit, it also is because he he pulls from left, right, and center. I think, and in this film, I think at least in the first half you see it the most. He pulls from guys like Jacques Tati and Richard Lester, like yeah. a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Like it feels like a like the prison sequence feels like a hard day's night. <laughs> like because everything's kind of sped up a little bit, and everything like it, it's almost a bit like logically makes very little sense. Like you have to kind of buy into the absurdism of it. So it's it's a thorough oddball, but at its core, it's a you could call it yeah you could call it a gothic sort of horror, right? Yeah, like a gothic horror, loves like a romantic horror. Right? Sure, sure. It is all the shallowness of the relationships in gothic romance. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It also has a lot of slasher in it. There's a mm-hmm. lot of great slasher sequences. I think those. I, I guess I, I can't say. I won't say uh, what 
are my favorite parts, even though I save, might have save them. <laughs> yeah, save them. Take it off your sleeve. Uh, this is this is the difficult part. You know, like ever since we decided to oh let's do top threes and bottom threes, then people kind of just we tend to kind of just hold some of these things back for massive reveals at the end. It's it's great, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I will say there is elements of slasher in in here. There's uh, there are elements of loads of things, and equally, like when 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 I think about this, this is like a romantic gothic horror. But equally, the thing that jumps at me the most, and this is something that Gene Siskel did not agree on because he was like, how can you make a satirical joke on a rock scene that's already a bit of a joke? Like this whole that because I think in the 70s, they, they saw this sort of like the, the, the makeup and everything. They was just like, oh, this is so, this, oh, you, you funny people with your funny makeup and your funny costumes and your funny guitars. <laughs> And and just like, what do you what do you know about the real rock and roll the Led Zeppelin and everything? It's just like fucking go away. Um, <laughs> just you know, like the sixties is where it's at. Like Jimi Hendrix was high on fucking acid when he was when he was composing his best work or whatever. And then, well, that's just five years after. Right? <laughs> but um, to me, this film is a commentary on Hollywood. I I see this, and it's like a almost like an anxiety dream of a filmmaker who's getting into the business and he's afraid that his artistic vision is going to be curtailed. And this is like the the lashing out against the studio system, the sort of the idea of a producer taking over people's work, manipulating people's voice, literally <laughs> giving people voice that's not theirs. Uh, or or just making changes and then getting them to sign contracts that they without telling them what they mean. It's just it's all kind of elevated to an extreme, like to the ridiculous camp level. But I think it tells a very honest story of someone who's trying to tell us that Hollywood is a nest of snakes. And they name drop Disney like the first five minutes of this movie, which is makes it r- really fun to watch in the, the modern <laughs> age. Mm-hmm. I mean. It's yeah. aged beautifully <laughs> in that sense. Well, the scene when they audition these women, and then there's behind the doors, they're just, they're they're just, a, a, I think the the only correct word for this is raping them, and then just like you watch this in a post Weinstein sort of world where where every it's it's been on the lips of everyone that just that this is this is the culture the rape culture of Hollywood like. You look at someone making a film in the seventies, who, mind you, okay, well, like it's very difficult to kind of just make make him like the sort of the, the paladin of, of of feminism because then he <laughs> went on to make like a string of X rated boob fest films about women getting slaughtered. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit weird, but but again, in nineteen seventy four, the guy puts out a musical that tackles this in a very satirical but overt format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It, it feels, it feels grand. It this film, for, for this film, for for all its sort of silliness, it feels important. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> yeah, it, it it has value, and it, it's a reminder that these things have always been there. Like they've, we've just become, we've we just attacked them. Like we just fought back. We've gone against them now. But these things have always been going on for centuries. And just this movie is a reminder that if there are men in positions of power, 
they're going to abuse everyone they can mm-hmm. just to get what they want. And you see that with, with the Phantom himself, with the protagonist, where he's just a, a good guy who makes great music and he gets cheated out of his of his like sheets of, of uh, music just stolen and corrupted and changed and destroyed by this producer who's just horrible and so it, it works so well you can use it as a as a metaphor for just the music industry but you can also apply that to cinema where just oh i have a lovely script and they're like yeah i'll buy your script and the studio is going to change it completely where it's not even your own like there's not even a fragment of your original idea in the new movie mm-hmm. it's yeah it's it's very easy to adapt and change what happens to so many different contexts which i think is what's led the film to have this enduring quality to it still working 50 years later almost at this point yeah it seems like uh because i I watched a bit of the um paradise regained doc um and in that brian de palma starts the doc off he says something on the lines of uh take something original and great and exploit it to make as much money as possible and in the process destroy it and that really encapsulates everything this film touches on I mean, it's uh, the and, and it makes sense for why it, it does the, what it does. Like it t- contextualizes why it's reaching for all these literary classics, and it's like, but it's reaching around like for modern like, again, like modern pop culture, and just kind of bridging them together and just kind of destroying them and but building something out of it. You mm-hmm. know, like it's such an interesting process that he puts us through. In, in fairness, this is exactly like when what you just described is exactly how De Palma makes films anyway. True. He, he picks, he's he's a magpie. He picks shiny objects from wherever he can find them and he puts them together in his nest and all of a sudden it makes it pretty, right? Um, but then it's it's interesting to me specifically because in this film he's doing it on two levels. So the film is exa- is a is a meta experience because you see how Winslow's making a Faust rock opera. So he which in which he draws from like Frankenstein. Like there's this he draws from left, right, and center again. Like you see, like the characters on screen uh, on the stage at some point they're kind of look like they're taken out of the cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Um, uh, there's elements of Dracula in this and then all of a sudden the entire film if you pull back to what he's doing then there are references to Phantom of the Opera there's references to Edgar Allan Poe because he get he gets you know like walled in, in, in into his room so that's from I think the, the, cask, of, the cask of Armadillo or something like this Amarillo Amantillo Amadillo Amad- yeah something like that Armadillo <laughs> Armadillo is an is an animal, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? Is it? Uh, yeah. Cask, cask of Amadillo. Amadillo. Amadeus. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so you you fact checked me. I don't know. <laughs> Just. You listeners out there, Randy, you know, I know you're listening. Tell me, <laughs> send me an email later or send a tweet at me. I don't know. Um, anyway, so he's doing this on two levels, right? Because he, 
and then in doing so, he's commenting. Like, like I was watching this, I had flashbacks to our Sunset Boulevard conversation, specifically to a scene where you have William Holden talking about the, scr- the scripts he's writing and how he's burnt out because he's writing a, um, I don't know, a story about whatever. And then by the end of it, by when he hands in the script, by the by the time they make a film, it's gonna be taking place on a submarine for some fucking reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so it kind of tells you how much of a how how little voice you or you end up having because there are forces that be that decide for you and then and i i feel it was a mistake at the time to kind of, to time to to be so narrow focused to see this as a commentary on rock and roll for some reason it's mm-hmm. just ah oh, the music scene now they're all sex drugs and rock and roll and whatever this the you know like these producers because i think this one is based on What's his name? Phil Spector, like the yeah. guy who who did did quite a lot of work with like the Beatles and Tina Turner. So he's kind of like one of these one of these sort of big moguls. He's like the Weinstein of music. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure how rapey he was, but but he's kind of like one of those guys who's just like, oh, you have to deal with him if you want to get big, right? Yeah. So so he's like the salesnick of of music industry, um, and. Uh, it's almost feels feels like a mistake to kind of just tie it strictly to music because to me the Palmer is making a comment about old Hollywood making uh, and and how obsolete and how destructive it is and then how, almost if he's making a case for new Hollywood taking over to me like this sort of like let the artist tell their story Jesus Christ like look how good it is <laughs> right what I find interesting to it's it's the way everything is presented, which is so over the top, so excessive and so fun. And the the movie just just jungle jumbles so many different it jungles. It jungles <laughs> just a verb. It just jungles. It jumbles so many different types of sequences. Even though it's primarily a comedy, for all intents and purposes, it's just a musical comedy. I do like when it gets a bit darker. I like when it's a bit more horrific. I like when it's a bit more thrillery. There's like this lovely homage to to um, Orson Welles' movie, A Touch of Evil. With the opening scene, it's, it's kind of like, oh, there's, the Phantom is putting a, a bomb inside this car that goes on stage and it's this tension that's just building up. I wish there were more Phantom shenanigans because if anything, it's relatively underwhelming the whole like Phantom of the Opera connection, where it's kind of like, oh, he's been disfigured, he enters the opera, he puts the bomb, and so on is like, hey, I want you to work for me, and that's it. <laughs> and then like at the end, he comes back again, full swinging. So well, he, he, does, was... he does kill the guy. What's his name? Beef. That's it. Yeah, that's thing. Like, at, at the end, at the end, he that's kind so of like sick. manages to escape and he kills the man. Like he attacks him in the shower, which is another like one of ten probably psycho references that the Palma <laughs> made in his career. To, like, <laughs> it's the just one of those, but he just he can't help himself. Even in a musical, that's kind of ripping ripping off a bunch of like gothic literature from the turn of the century. He still has to put a psycho reference in. <laughs> it's, it's mandatory. It's in his contract for every movie. Is there, oh, is there someone taking a shower? Great. <laughs> I know I where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one outcome, guys. Psycho. <laughs> but it's 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 yes, it's fun. It's fun. And I think there are other De Palma movies that treat 
the audience in a more, I don't want to say in a more intelligent way, but this does feel like he was trying to market it to as wide an audience as possible, which is a shame that it backfired and it ended up becoming very niche because it does, doesn't does treat something like Faust in a very like, oh yeah, everyone knows what Faust is, what the story is like. No, like he literally needs to have a scene where someone goes, oh, Faust, this is what it's about. Man sells the soul to the devil, blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah, we could have done without that, you know. It's... Uh, but it's one of many, right? Because he also has the sort of the Dorian, the portrait of Dorian Gray sort of sequence. So it's a collage again. Yes, yes, yeah. I I think it's a bit much in the end. It's, it's, Is it though? It's, it's it's just adding constantly. Like the movie goes on, like you get to the final five minutes of the movie, and it's still adding. Like oh, now it's now there's a Dorian Gray element to it all. It's it's fascinating, but. I think it's it's one of the problems with making such a high octane movie, at least for me. I do feel tired out by the end of it. We're just kind of like, oh, just slow down a second, just just slow down, man. <laughs> just the powder, just slow down, my boy. To be Which honest, is that good... climax is so uh, it's it, so flashy and and insane. You know, you are just love I, the I, climax with the yeah, music t- going all the time. Like these people are dying and people are dancing. Just. It's great. <laughs> it feels like a, it's it feels like a modern music video, honestly. It does, yeah. yeah. Yes, but the yes. music, the music in its own right, is very good as well. It, yeah. it, it kind of helps. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say that it, you know, when you say it tires you out, I think I because it's a musical and because the music anchors these things, it kind of, I kind of allows me to let these things wash over me more than just ingest them. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of just treat them as the elements of aesthetics, like it's a music video almost, right? The, these references are just pretty to look at because the story in its own right is just very simple. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of like a tragic gothic love story. So you know everyone's going to die at the end. Like that's pretty much what's going to happen, right? But um, which is again like a Jalo connection, right? Because like every every single time, it's a haunting ending, right? Yep. But. It doesn't retire really me out because I'm everything is kind of just happening to the beat of this sort of weird rock and roll, mm-hmm. and it helps a lot, kind of to just just vibe with. It, it's a film you vibe with. I think that's that's what it is. So like we know we like I've been berated a number of times over not liking shitty musicals like fucking <laughs> Cats. <laughs> can suck a dick these films. It's <laughs> like Mamma Mia. Just like I've been, t- I've been told repeatedly that Mamma Mia is like the best film ever. <laughs> <gasps> just like, like Vietnam flashbacks. Jesus. Anyway, um, this is a musical I can vibe with. Like this is something like I can just you know because I'm on the same page with everyone. Like it, it kind of has like an energy of some like the Blues Brothers almost. Just like the music's modern, <laughs> the music's interesting, and but. But it doesn't take itself serious, but seriously, but it equally does, and it's fun. I don't know. I have I have fun with it. Sue me. Ah, looks like we'll have to now. Oh we'll no! Have to sue me? Yeah, I'm gonna have to sue you. Yeah, well, sued for too much fun. Yeah, too much, <laughs> too much fun. You're not allowed. Christ. Yeah. As I say, it, it, it's just an insane experience, um, especially following Winslow. And I I love that Winslow is like this. He's kind of like a Bob Dylan stand in. There's a lot of these like the beach bums <laughs> or like uh, the beach boys you have at home, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, like you have the sort of, what's it? The juicy fruits. 
like when <laughs> we have these sort of the, the male chorus but it's also fun as well because in the, the whole beginning number where it's basically a beach boys knockoff but the sort of the the uh the little backup singers they have a fight in the background <laughs> it's just like they punch someone <laughs> it's just weird but yeah, there's also there was like that that rapey moment I think where that one guy like he's jumping on that girl and the other guy pulls him off and then jumps on her too and the camera like pans away. It's just like and this woman right. just runs away into the corner as well. <laughs> it's uh, De Palma. <laughs> is, is it De Palma or is it specific commentary on certain things? Because the whole the whole industry is just lewd. It's just lurid and it's dangerous. But it's equally you just you just dismiss all of it because it's entertaining, and I think it's part. If it's not intentional, fine. But to me, this plays into the sort of idea that there's there's a thematic message woven into this that's for twenty twenty two still powerful. Like holy shit, this movie tells a lot. Yeah, I think it is intentional because there's the you know the beach bomb. car bomb sequence right Mm -hmm. and there's that that woman there and she wants to wear like a jacket or a blanket yes uh, because she's cold because it's rehearsal and the guy won't know we have to see your body you have to do it like this you know does this to a bra as well yeah exactly (laughs) christ no but then they have these sort of women on this sort of rotating bed where just they're they've survived the audition oh they were gonna speak we're gonna see swan and where swan this one that he looks like elton john i'm never even sung (laughs) or something like that one of them says it's just like like, i'm coming back yeah i'm coming i'm just asked to come back and it's just like you clearly know what why they're coming back and it's just like oh we're gonna be pleasuring this guy it's just like this very yeah you know exactly yeah you you know exactly what's gonna happen and you know exactly what he's trying to say with this uh and then yeah and how people may i don't know how 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 weird is it that people didn't get it at the time it's just odd (laughs) or maybe they just thought it's just too childish or maybe this was already obvious or i don't know I, i think we've just grown to appreciate movies with such a I don't want to use the word because it's honestly overused, but just campy movies. Mm-hmm. Movies that are a bit like B-movies that are aware they're not very expensive, a bit cheap, and they try to make something out of their limitations. Mm-hmm. And I think we've grown to really love that, which is why people like De Palma, John Waters, and many others are much more beloved now than they ever were when they were alive by just a wider public because we we just like these type of things more because we don't see these types of movies anymore. In that era, like already this is an outlier for 1974, but in its own way, like there were many bold, risky movies. You're going to have your Rocky Horror a year after this and etc. All that but jazz now, fits in there as all, well. All the jazz, yeah, yeah, just good stuff. But nowadays you don't have that anymore. And so you're watching something like this and you're like, holy shit, this is <laughs> this is fresh. This is new. This is unique. It's a flavor I've never tasted before. And it's so great. And even if you watch movies that are inspired by it, I know there's like Repo, the genetic opera that takes something from this. Rocky Horror but, Picture Show with like beef, I'd say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What year, what year was Rocky Horror? That was 75, after. literally a year after. Um, but was Rocky Horror Picture Show first a stage musical? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe Richard O'Brien. I don't know. I don't think so. The film is based I... on a 1973 musical stage production, directly ah, horror shit. show, with oh, music, no. book, and lyrics by O'Brien. 
So, so maybe that was an influence that De Palma drew from. So that's pretty interesting. I mean, they may have been concurrent, or I don't know. Yeah. It's it's so close that it's difficult to say, right? It's one of those situations where they they just just coincidental. They just chicken and the similar. egg. They all tapped into the same groove, pretty much. Yeah, Drugs. beef feels like a a David Bowie. Actually, I don't know if he feels like a David. I, I was trying to figure out who he's like a stand-in for because Winslow is Bob Dylan, and then you got the Beach Boys, and and I, and beef is just. His name's Beef, and I—he's flamboyant, <laughs> but he screams metal. You, and... you know what he feels like? I'm watching him, and I feel like he—he—the moves he has on the like the sort of stage presence, like Steven Tyler. Okay. So, yeah, so very Ario Smithy. So that's the sort of like the '70s, right? Oh, yeah, like hair metal. Yes. I was um, thinking like maybe even Meatloaf. I was thinking like the... Meatloaf, but on Slim Fast, right? But. <laughs> 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 It's lean. It's lean. Lean beef. Oh no! <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, you know, apparently the, the fatter meatloaf got, the better his music was. Uh, anyway, but you know, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like this is this this is the connection I made was like Aerosmith almost, like with beef and 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 by the way, did you know that the backup people were the same people who were in Juicy Fruits? Yes, yes, it just oh, change outfits and yeah. become a new band every time. That's pretty yeah. funny. But it, yeah, is it a joke, like an intentional joke? It's like, let's do this, or is it just like, I, I have only so many friends I can ask? <laughs> I, 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 I saw that joke as kind of like, these, these men are ready to just whore themselves out to Swan, where the choices are mm-hmm. two. Either you're going to adapt to what he wants you to do, or you die. <laughs> Make so. music like this, or... You don't have a career. Basically. Yeah, just change with the times or don't. And you know what's become a, irrelevant. I say, you know what's a great sequence? When he's trying to find the when Swan's in that like blacked out room and he's trying to find that new sound. And it's just like he's just turning and the lights are coming on and they're they're playing continuously yes. this song. There's like the country singer and it ends with with beef doing his strange metal high pitched voice. Uh, that's just so cool. I love that like unveiling. It reminds me of a. It, it reminds me of, like Spotify or, or mm-hmm. like your iPod or something like that. It's, it's just a really interesting sequence to to look at from a modern viewpoint. And yeah. he he has this sort of folk singer in there, like he, with this guy with an acoustic acoustic guitar. He says, "Oh, cute," but no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it kind of just tells you that it's just. What decides the flavor of the current era is not may not necessarily be what you think the voice of the generations telling you, right? Or what the people like, like we like to think that you know music is an expression of of ourselves, and then on a societal level, it's an expression of our generation. For instance, that's why in like the nineties you had grunge, in the seventies in the seventies you had punk music or whatever, like, because it was supposed to be an expression of something and then in here you have a sort of a comment on something that probably quite a few people knew already that a good extent of what's what's the flavor of the current generation is engineered by people who have absolutely nothing to do with uh with the artistic side of things all they see is money and they just think oh it's 
it's gonna be good to have a I don't know a fucking a barbershop quartet's gonna fit in very nicely with this crowd or whatever or or just the guy beef who's just like I think you know, people will love him because whatever you know he it feels like he fits he's gonna sell me a lot of a, a lot of albums right mm-hmm. or tickets right. so it feels cynical it feel, it's a, that scene you just described is extremely cynical which is I, I have a note in in, in there for. for for a scene that really um, impacted upon me, which is the scene where uh, the Swan is sort of in the studio with Winslow, and then Winslow singing with his fucked up voice, and he's just doing this sort of audio engineering on him. It's just like, oh, Dobby's here, and do this, and he gives him his voice. And then, oh, it's a fun scene because he's just, oh, the producer is, is now in charge of his voice. And then the fun fun fact is that the voice he gets when he says perfect, that's his own voice. That's, right. that's Paul Williams' <laughs> voice. Yeah, he, Which is he brilliant. Gets really. Swan's voice in return, yeah. Yeah, so it's just like, well, now, I, now, I've, now I've broken you, I've imprisoned you, and I've, gave, I've given you the... Now you're in my... Now you're you're in my thrall. You're you're my slave now, and now you're speaking with my voice, or else you're not speaking with with any voice. That's all you have. And this is the sort of commentary on. To me, this this is a powerful comment on losing your artistic expression as a as a storyteller in the context of a filmmaking. So, if if you're a screenwriter or a director, the sort of the dynamic between you and producer, how he's afraid of losing his own voice and then giving in to what producers would think would sell. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Winslow is a, a great character to root for, especially as a creative, because you really want him to succeed and you understand that he, he really just wants to get his material out there. I mean, he is willing to let Swan get away with a lot to get the material out there, but Swan wants everything, which I think that has a lot to say about it. Um, In the beginning, they have a scene, right? Um, When he speaks to what's this guy's name, Philbin, when he was like, "Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing like a play on Faust," and he just thinks, "Oh, what what label is he on, right, or something like that." It's, I just um, love how protective he is as well in that moment. So but like, this it, is my baby. But he <laughs> says, "Oh, this is this is my baby. This is my thing." And just like he's, he's like, "Oh, yeah." But w- what we want is this. It's just you know, the tune or whatever. What's the matter? And this, he just shows it's this block of, of of like it's just a brick of pages, as though it's just like no, no. This is a con. It's a concept album. This is like and 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 he the guy is clearly like, all I want is a single, and it's just. He tells you already, just like there's your art, and this and there's what will sell, and your art's not gonna sell, so we have to either change. Well, we're gonna take what's good out of your shit, and we're gonna make it ours, and you're not gonna get anything. You're gonna get uh, your your face smushed in a in a in a record press, which is also a very ironic statement as well. To me, right? <laughs> I think it's really funny that, uh, and and it makes perfect sense that Winslow is just this meek little weakling you know but the second somebody tries to take his art he's just he's he enraged you know he's just attacking he's pushing people he breaks out of prison when he hears it on the radio i love yeah i love that sequence he's you know there's when he's the phantom he is like shimmying around he's like doing all this crazy stuff when he's a weakling and me and nicolo had a conversation not too long ago 
um, where I brought up uh, when you're working with somebody on a project, like say you're, you, you write the script and, and, and under someone mm. else's production, you don't want somebody messing with your baby, you know, that you want to be protective of your baby. And so those sequences uh, make him so relatable to, to creatives, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yeah, he fights back. It's 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 remarkable, and I think it's a it's a testament to the performance of William Finley as well. It's just oh, so good. Like, I don't know why he was ever he was never that big, which is a shame. Like he basically only worked with the Palma. What else he made, was like, he on? He in... made in the Palma. No, in general, just it, it so... wasn't like an in Eaten Alive by Toby Hooper. That's kind of it, oh, honestly. Right. Like a bit roles here and there. Yeah, nothing major. Robert England connection. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he wasn't. Yeah, he yeah he wasn't basically just the entirety of of his early early stuff. Model Armand, the wedding party. It's very odd. Shame, shame, because he's he's very likable. I I think just the casting in general is very solid in this film. Um, like uh, Paul Williams as Swan talked about, but I really, really, really like Jessica Harper. Mm-hmm. As of from of Suspiria fame that she's was going to make a couple of years after, as Phoenix, I think she's so it's that was it's, her breakout role, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And she, unfortunately, like she she never became that big again. Another one of those instances, so weird, how some movies end up becoming legendary and some of the performances in them never did. Like Jessica Harper again, only bit roles pretty much throughout her career mm-hmm. outside of this and Suspiria. She was uh, in lively in Minority Report. Did you know yeah. that? Yes, but I don't remember her <laughs> in this film. Because so. um, she's but... literally there for like five minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised. And it, it's it's uh, it's another one of those instances where an actor manages to elevate an otherwise shallow character. Because I think Phoenix on paper isn't that interesting, at least for me personally. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like, she she wants to sing. She's very headstrong, where she's like, I know I'm a good singer. I just want to sing. But she can't not... dance, I'll tell you that much. The dancing no. is just annoying me. <laughs> she, she cannot dance. She dances, again, like, uh, throwback to last week's conversation about Showgirls, she dances like Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> so beautifully. <laughs> <It's just crazy>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to put it delicately. I think it's. I think it's interesting yeah. that Phoenix, uh, almost like Winslow, like it, you know, is fighting against Swan, and then Swan just like barely offers anything, and it's just like I will do anything for you. I will. Yep, I will work with you. It's just. I think that really says something about the again the film industry and the music industry is a lot of these people just want to. They just want like their moment of fame, and they are literally willing to you know sell their soul, sell their livelihood for mm-hmm. it yeah like the moment she has a bit of success she's like hell no i'm not giving this away <laughs> yeah she's like i will now. sleep with you swan <laughs> which is which is an interesting Literally. dynamic on on what we we have been always i mean not always but recently there's been the conversation about uh this sort of culture of abuse in entertainment industry uh always revolves around the question of why why haven't people have fucking said something before like why haven't people stopped this in it in their tracks mm. because everyone wants in just you can't want a piece of it it's so the, the the temptation to just be the one making it big is so huge it's un- unstoppable 
I assume you get blacklisted all the time too. At this point, oh, yeah. anybody who who did stand out and and say something just never worked again. You never heard of them again. Well, Eugene we, Davis is. Well, you have what Mira. Sor- like, I just listened to what Mark Maron's podcast when Mira Sorvino was on, yeah. and she basically just told Harvey Weinstein to fuck off, and then she didn't. She basically didn't get get a, a single role for in twenty years. Insane. So from her mid early 30s to early 50s she didn't have a career as a result of that because they just put a word on word out that you know like peter jackson didn't cast her in lord of the rings and they were and they were going to based on what harvey told them it's ridiculous so that's the kind of that's the kind of sort of power these people hold and then these people like these artists creative singers songwriters actors directors film screenwriters i don't care everyone in the sort they know this so there's this the elevated and hyper stylized and campy as it may be, the, the the comparison to signing a pact with the devil in your own blood feels on like feels appropriate <laughs> in a way. Mm, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's re- but then you, you see like I I wanted to kind of just make a quick comment because we were talking about acting. This is something that the Palmet for me always does. I mean, maybe in 1974, maybe it's too early to tell, but he always had a knack for picking out people um, who are not exactly big stars. Mm-hmm. Like what 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 else would Phil, William Finley did not much, right? Like for Jessica Harper, this was her first feature role, right? She was in you know this was her in in she was like introduced in this film. Yeah, but she did theater yeah. before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and even think about this. Like, I, I, I don't want to say that he had a hand in. Probably did. Uh, maybe may, is it a hot take? I don't know to say that in 1996, Brian De Palma is one of the sort of main. I want to say one of the main driving forces um, behind Tom Cruise becoming an action hero. Oh, absolutely. So. Because he was just, you know, like a, a young, lovable guy who also happened to be in Top Gun as well. Right? <laughs> and even in Top Gun, he wasn't a massive action hero. He was just a guy, right? But yeah, so I don't know. He doesn't get enough credit for actually... He casts people in such a such a creative and interesting way. It's just amazing to me. But yeah, I've run through my notes. Oh, no, I, I've got one note I wanted to kind of... No, two notes I've got that I wanted to kind of just run by you. Because right? we, we've touched on quite a few things. Um, I watched... I, I looked at the costume of Swan... And that's one. Uh, Winslow's. I see Darth Vader. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, am I mad? <laughs> am I mad? No. The yeah, box? I, I definitely... I, I definitely see that, too. It's one of those things where... It's like after I watched... Uh, Oh gosh, what is, what is that uh, Kurosawa film that he that is basically a New Hope? Oh, uh, uh, Hidden Fortress. Yes, Hidden Fortress. It's like <laughs> it's like after watching that, where I'm, I'm just kind of sitting around. Like I love George Lucas, but I'm also just like, man, some of this isn't as original as I thought it was. <laughs> Laser swords is about the most original part of that. I mean. Anything that's that was made in say like after 1969 in New Hollywood, if anything that you think is original, you just need to watch more movies, <laughs> right? Because if you think about like Scorsese, just how how original he is, and when you actually dig into the shit that he liked, <laughs> you'll be like, ah, oh, 
he's he's uh, he's effectively doing like what Tarantino gets accused of, but he just wears it on his sleeve and he's just like, look, I'm lifting a scene from Gone in sixty seconds, zooming right, but or, <laughs> or something like that. But like Lucas knew what he was doing; like he was basically just picking out the this this I'm taking from the Magnificent Seven. This is what I'm taking from Seven Samurai. This is what I'm taking from The Hidden Fortress. This is what I'm taking from my buddy Brian De Palma, who I think. <laughs> Brian De Palma, I think he just may have script doctored Star Wars or something like this. They were all buddies, right? Yeah. They're like De Palma, Lucas, mm-hmm. Spielberg, Scorsese, Will, <laughs> Milius, Scorsese, all these people, the, 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 you know, Coppola, they were all drinking buddies, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 just so so weird to me when when actually people think would think it's just oh this is this is original. It's great, but not, it's it's original in a way. It kind of just collages these things, right? Yeah, like if if you think like, like about the ending of Star Wars, like it's it's clearly like Flash Gordon sort of related. If you like watch the serials or like the Ray, like the Ray Harryhausen films, like you'll see that there's 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 elements of inspiration in there. It's just. And in, yeah, and and to 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 think that he would probably watch Phantom of the Paradise because he would probably Lucas would be probably one of the first people who would see this like at like a special screening, which just Brian would just let all of his friends in and they would just watch this and he would just like this costume is fucking cool, <laughs> just, I'm taking it. Even with the voice as well, he has a face facial disfigurement as well, so it's kind of like he actually is Darth Vader. He has to manipulate like right? the voice box in mm-hmm. front of it. Straight yeah. up, yeah. So it's it, yeah. I don't know. It's it, so it it feels like it's highly influential in its own right, but especially when you think about mm-hmm. like I was thinking about like I, I was asking myself questions about like how you guys said like is Rocky Horror Picture Show is kind of like are these people related artistically or is this just a coincidence because this is what the world was at or is there a producer behind all of this saying like this is gonna sell? <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. <sighs> Do we have anything else that we want to touch on? Because I've oh, because there's another one. Did you guys notice with the Def Records label and Swan Song Records? Did you know? Did you know anything about this? No, wait, no. I know the I, the, the logo. So, Is it the yeah, logo? there's a logo. This the film starts with the Def Record. There's this sort of like bird lying down. Yeah, bird. sideways. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's Swan's record. Uh, yes. label right that's the logo but if you look in the film everywhere you'll see like in, in this actual set there's swan song logo everywhere hmm. because the, throughout the entire production they had they had the swan song uh this was supposed to be swan song records so they only have like a few pickups where they have these sort of like a door or whatever in this sort of like big office that, where he kind of goes like rupert pupkin going to can i see the guy you know um which, by the way, probably I wouldn't be surprised if Scorsese lifted it from from him from Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just um, the Swan Song Records was supposed to be the label because it, you know the guy Swan and the Swan Song it makes sense, but they had to change it because they had a lawsuit from an actual label called Swan Song that actually was registered in the same year, and that was the label uh, producing Led Zeppelin. Wow! So they were kind of rich. <laughs> So Jeez. it's kind of like we have to change it, and he was, but he, he he's kind of like John Carpenter, who's asked to remove a, like a scene from Assault from Precinct Thirteen to get a narrating instead of an X, 
and he didn't he he said uh, said to every to MPA that he removed it and he did, and then he put it back in <laughs> like a badass so i think it was just uh, a similar a situation dream. where it's like Jesus. they were told like oh you can't use it so he just covered like they they were just partially covered or he just like he doesn't get he doesn't care who gives a shit so, <laughs> so they have so they they have these sort of vestiges of this like everywhere on, on the scene where, where the phantom is just always on like on like i don't know the ceiling so there will be logos everywhere it's risky big yeah risking big moment yeah. There's that funny, funny part with Swan that actually made me laugh a lot. Maybe it's because I think Paul Williams looked like he was 40 years old uh, during this. But that that one part where those young girls, like that one lady comes up, I went to high school with him. I went to, and the lady there is like, you could be his mom. And it's just like, impl- and this is the lady's like in her like late 30s, right? Mm-hmm. Just implying that that Swan looks like he's in his early 20s and i'm Jesus. looking at paul williams like this man is 40 like he is he looks so old mm-hmm. he looks hey. young in the bathtub hey. without the glasses yeah yeah it's true it's the only moment everything else that's a that's a weird sequence that bathtub sequence it, it just it i really i enjoy it but it almost comes it, it's another one of those things where it just almost comes out of nowhere because i think I'm it just, does because i watched it and i was just like where is it coming from? Because you're almost like you wake up in this scene almost. Like you're just yeah. like, how am I here? But the scene itself, I really like it. You know what I feel like? Again, is this something like I would say, like, is this what Sam Raimi was doing in, in Spider-Man? Like, is, is is he kind of just... Lifting? Oh, with the Willem Dafoe Green Goblin kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's like, it's, it's a, such an innovative sort of way of... Uh, like having these sort of two characters speaking to one another when clearly the other one's in the guy's head, right? And it's scary as well. Like, holy shit, this, this, yeah. But the contracts they sign, like the, the font on this, like it's such a waste of paper, by the way. <laughs> like, this could have been a five-page document in font eight. <laughs> there's a cool detail um, because, you know, there's all the cameras around and it's kind of, it, it, it almost has like a documentary feel because we're going off of like the security cams that, mm-hmm. that Swan has all over the place. Whenever it shows Swan talking, he has this like distorted satanic voice. He has like a demon voice, but he, but even when you're in those scenes, he never like actually sounds like that. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting. It's something I picked up on this rewatch. Yeah, it plays a lot with the whole concept of just the cameras capturing the soul and, and mm-hmm. it just keeps showing you constantly like Swan going to look at the videotape and you like the camera of the movie, like the movie camera that you're witnessing everything through sometimes ends up being the movie camera of this, like the set camera, the actual movie. It's so weird. It's borderline meta at times. It's so fascinating. I mean, especially in moments when you see him like infiltrating the office, and you have these sort of wide-angle close-ups. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, like the, like the massive vignetting, and then sort of the, the sort of spherical distortion that uh, you know, uh, in the in the corners of the frame, as he's as the cameraman is just running behind Winslow. It's just it's, it's like a Terry Gilliam shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Very... But it feels like like you're you're meant to feel like the cameraman is there with Winslow. Like he, like the camera is part of the experience. Like it's like a fan food situation, right? It's, it's, but it, but it's almost very inconsistent because the, these are just moments of this, and then you have a very sort of formal sort of like music musical sort of 
coverage. Mm-hmm. And then you have these weird, um, like, I insert shots of like screens as well. It's a very sort of, and then and then also you have the sort of Richard Lester Hart days nice sort of sped up shots of just very wide angle sort of coverage of people running and running in sort of sped up motion. And yeah, I don't know what you guys think about this sort of aesthetically speaking because it's very, yeah, as I said, inconsistent, isn't it? Yeah, I I don't like the fact that like sometimes you're clearly watching things through the eyes of just the Palmas camera, but then they show footage back of things that were just not captured in the moment. <laughs> it's like, how is that possible? I don't really care, but it's just a bit much, you know, it's a, it's a bit much, you know, the Palma. <laughs> it's, it's, it's messy. It's a bit messy. And those flaws just show up a bit more towards the end of the film. It's kind of like pile up one on top of the other. Um, but it's, again, it's so fun and light that I can overlook them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the flaws really, the, the mess makes it more uh, appealing, I guess. Mm. Like mm-hmm. you appreciate it more. It's, it, it is just like a, a creative, destructive mess and you get to witness it and it's just awesome, you know. And then in camera, there's one moment that really took me by surprise which I didn't quite understand what happens in there as well, in terms of what what is what is happening and wh- whose perspective am I assuming, where Winslow is looking through the sort of the ceiling window at mm. Phoenix and Swan, and he has a camera right above him, <laughs> and he has a button that he presses. It's just like who's watching this now? Is he watching this as 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 she's kissing him? Like why? And then all of a sudden he's now on. He kills himself, and all of a sudden Swan is on the on the roof. But he, it's a great That's scene, by the way, because then he says, I'm under contract too. It's <laughs> such a great scene. That's it when, takes, uh, a, takes a while to get to the payoff. I'll, I'll say that. That scene goes on for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's when the movie starts to get really strange. Like, the, that's the when paradigm. it gets strange. Yeah, you're, 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 <laughs> I, I guess, like, narratively, it, it just, you're, because the paradise sequence feels like a climax. That's where you're building mm-hmm. to for most, like, the, you know, the premiere of the paradise. So then you jump to this moment, and then he kills himself, and then you wake up uh, to this, like, kind of swan is the devil. Like Swan is the actual devil. Like mm-hmm. this was something that I was like yeah, hinted at and played with, but then no, he is the literal devil, and it just mm-hmm. it, the movie steers. But is he in the a literal direction. devil because he's his yeah. his photographs are aging, so he's like the Dorian Gray who sold his soul to the devil right. some time ago, right? As well, yeah, he's, he's been corrupted by the devil and the power. So he, is he possessed? He was, he like, this is this is something that no. I didn't quite understand logically, but I'm just like at this point, I'm like I don't care because like what's happening is amazing, so I'm just I'm just gonna roll with it. It's, it's, the the mere sequence makes you think he's possessed, right? Because there's a yeah. there's an evil swan. Also, that's a very black mirror sequence where he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna televise my suicide because uh, I've made great art, and I'm but I'm getting old. I realize I'm I'm gonna grow old someday, so it's." all downhill is, from here but is he supposed to no he's supposed to televise the assassination of phoenix right no no in the in the uh bathroom sequence where, where you're watching the film oh, right, he's yes. televising his suicide yeah for, and so then he yeah. meets the devil in the mirror it's so odd yeah i, I saw it as, as temptation from the devil <clears throat> 
sorry, it's just temptation from the devil trying to get him to to sign this contract because it is at this lowest point in life, and so he's so desperate that he's just kind of like, ah, fine, I'll do it. And I, I didn't see it as possession itself. But the but the angle of like televising your own suicide, I mean. Yeah, Black Mirror esque is probably one way to put it, and or maybe Black Mirror is probably one of those one of those films who that kind of owe quite a lot to films like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like you know, like in nineteen seventy six, you had Network, and it almost kind of makes makes it feel like a commentary on like the sort of like what sort of the cultural obsession with uh, with violence as well, as in like this is gonna this is totally gonna sell, right? Like this is gonna be amazing. People are gonna people are gonna love it. I feel he kind of just panders to that kind of sort of um, messaging, I want to say. Which, yeah, I don't know. In the context of everything, especially when you have the whole climax is staged around televising, no, making a grand opening of this, of this, was it called Swanage? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But but then staging an assassination in there uh, and then making sure that everyone's going to see how this beautiful woman bites the dust, and then he, he has Philbin look like a pope <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's it's so, it's so weird if you consider that like those talks of of live assassinations and suicides and whatnot, and that's the same year where Christine Chabok died. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit grim, grim coincidence. Mm. Nothing. But yeah, I don't know. It it kind of just. It comes together in the end, I'd say. Like how it really, really does. And, and then, yeah, I, I, as as you guys said, like certain things come out of nowhere. Like the bathtub scene comes Many out of come left out of field. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but I don't mind. Like I don't care. Like you know, sometimes I would like. In if the if the atmosphere wasn't right, the music wasn't right, the the story wasn't. I would be probably the first one to kind of just go to town and say, no, this is stupid. These cats are where these people are wearing cat makeup. This is bananas. I'm not. I'm not vibing with this one bit. Right. This is stupid. But I'm. I'm really on board with pretty much everything in here. Like, like I don't know. Like at, at the end, it kind of goes full on Mario Bava with these <laughs> with these sort of makeups. Like they, they, everyone looks like Jason Voorhees. <laughs> it's just great. It's I don't know, and and it's just so bananas. It's so weird loud glitzy and you have no fucking clue what's happening but it's just great and the music is just rock and these people are dancing they don't give a shit it's amazing yeah is it the finest de palma that brian de palma has ever de palmed no that's that yeah the brian de palma de palma the most the most uh in blowout i'll leave it at that <laughs> spoilers <laughs> for our bonus time oops uh but it's up there. I'll I'll say that much. This is this to me. This is a massive surprise, like a positive supri- surprise because you never know. I mean, I, I'm to the, to this day. Like I watched it. I don't know this morning, and I'm just thinking to myself, to this day, like this has been hours. Fucking hell. But <laughs> I'm I'm asking myself a question. How is this film present in this man's filmography? This is just the one like one off situation, and then at the same time, it's just so weird. So out of place but also so important for for me as in to see like what the palma uh, how the palma's sort of directorial career is shaping up i think this this film is very important isn't it it, it definitely is yeah it's, it's it's fascinating like i i do think it was more of a divertissement for him 
We were just kind of like toying around with different ideas and wanted to make something lighter, more fun. I can honestly see it being made as something more mainstream or like aimed at making money and it just backfired completely. Um, but I think it's telling that he never went back to something like this outside kind of of the bonfire of the vanities and even then it was a massive bomb and it's the only other comedy ever made pretty much well, so it's most of his uh, films are bombs true true but like at least they're rediscovered in one way or another this like so it's it's yeah I'm just fascinated. I'm, I'm happy people like Edgar Wright ended up loving this when they were young and then just homaged it many times in their work and getting Paul Williams for Baby Driver and whatnot. <laughs> but see, yeah, oh, that's a good comparison. Because if you think, this, this is like Edgar Wright's Baby Driver is basically his Phantom of the Paradise. When you think about it, it's just like an out and out musical. Yeah, and just and Edgar Wright just loves the Palma, like he loves those split. Mm-hmm. Like he always uses many of the same tricks. It's just you know, it's passing the torch in a way. We um, mm-hmm. say love. I think it'd be interesting to if somebody, if a director, I guess Edgar Wright. That was who I was actually thinking of uh, last night when I was when I was thinking of when I was preparing for this uh, session, but could this be translated like remade or or like you know reworked for the modern era like with like the me too movement and kind of i mean even the music industry still sucks just as much Mm. as it did back then maybe even worse now so do you think that there would be more to grab from to kind of play with i don't think so like i i think it's it's to the test of time well enough or I think it's more a matter of preserving film history and just kind of championing this as a movie that's still relevant rather than remaking it because it's because if remaking it, especially in an era of digital filmmaking and of CGI, I think you're going to lose so much of what makes it charming in its own way. I think in a way, I would agree with the idea that um, maybe remaking it is not the way to go. I would say I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Edgar Wright eventually almost like repurpose the idea, re- or something, repurposes you know? some of some of its elements into something else. Because like you, you can think about something like Last Night in Soho gets very close to kind of this this sort of conversation in its own right, in almost a musical format. True, true, to true. to an extent. So you could actually see I could actually see him progressing towards that direction eventually, just making an like an out and out musical that. Make would make people uh, go and seek out Phantom of the Paradise for context. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like I don't, I don't want to make a Joker connection, but like in much in a way when people were just like obsessing over Joker, I would like to see, and, and then people would be going like, why don't you just go and watch Taxi Driver and King of Comedy and 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 then watch this, and then you you'll you'll see, you know, that this movie is standing on the shoulders of giants big style right right I, I would see that kind of repurpose re, repurposing of of phantom of the paradise that that's its legacy because if you try to remake it you either pro- it, like, i don't think this something like this can be remade in a successful way because it's going to be a bomb because people won't, won't get the camp vibe or the filmmakers remaking it won't get the camp vibe themselves and it will just the, the cultists who have 
sort of congregated around the Phantom of the Paradise now would would not take it very lightly, right? Like you would probably not be happy if someone botched it, right? Yeah, I, I would definitely be upset. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, Corbero rioting in the what streets. What are you doing? <laughs> That's why. I, honestly, you know, I, I thought this this from from a, a creative uh, perspective, I think this would be a lot of fun to repurpose to find somewhere to kind of put this kind of energy and this kind of like meta examination. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I don't know. I, I think I think you could make something really cool with it. Will it make money? No, probably not. <laughs> maybe maybe Netflix will buy it, so you don't have to worry about it. Let's cast James Corden as oh, a beef. go away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, having having Tom Holland as the Phantom. <laughs> I, I, I take it back. Nobody touched this movie. Let's Mark Wahlberg as Swan. Like you, you opened the Pandora's box now. Now it's too late. Now it's, now it's happening. Nicole is going writing an email to Netflix as we speak. <laughs> Zendaya as as Jessica Harper. <laughs> you see, the, no, the Lady dying, Gaga. You need Lady Gaga for this. She needs to know how to sing. Out too old. She can play the mother of of. Uh, can be swan. <laughs> Gender swapped Phantom of the Paradise. There you Done. Go. I think uh the Phantom instead of having like this dark distorted voice, he's just have auto tune. Like sound like T Pain. Well he almost has auto tune in there, like <laughs> very primitive auto tune as well, and he's just remaking his voice. He has this sort of he sounds like file Williams. Oh, I cannot imagine <laughs> just mixing that scene. Jesus. That's that's hard work. It's hard work now. I cannot imagine in 1974. That's why you appreciate it so much. Yes. A lot of those sequences, you know, took so long, mm-hmm. and it was just a labor of of love and a lot of work. Mm. And especially for a for a 90 minute movie, I felt like I watched. I got three hours worth of entertainment. You know, that's a that's a steal. It's 90 minutes and five movies squished into one yeah, exactly. for better and worse. Yeah, well, I walked out an expert on five. Faust. Yeah, there's Faust. There's there's so many things. It's just I don't know. You, you could watch this film five times and get five different different things out of this, which is which again is a testament to how to the longevity of this idea and to the and to the fact that people in 1974 were under a spell of Gene Siskel and he should have been stopped long ago. <laughs> At least film criticism guys, doesn't matter anymore. Because the guy, the, well, yeah, but at the time, the Chicago Sun Times or whatever Tribune that he was when he was when he was saying like that the thing sucks, it's too violent, and people were like, "Well, I guess I'm not watching it then." And then John Carpenter is like, "Fucking what?" <laughs> so you know, it's all Gene Siskel's fault. Like I'm telling you, he was he. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure like De Palma and, and Carpenter, all these people just had him assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> It probably didn't, right? On that I'm here, note, I'm here all I'm here all week. Like, this is how I get banned no. from Twitter again. Like, how did he die? By the way, hold on. Probably a heart attack. Killed by John Carpenter. Oh, oh my, my god. god! Allegedly, it's just fucking polonium poisoning. <laughs> like it was self-defense. Oh fucking hell! God, that was a bad take on my part. So he had a brain tumor. Jesus. Oh Jesus! Nice. So, so yeah. So it was he wasn't assassinated, but he, but his stakes were crap. Jesus, I don't. Yeah, like, like anyway, between, between the two, between the two, I used to kind of agree more with with Ebert. I don't know. It was a bit more interesting in a way. Yeah, Cisco was a hater. <laughs> it's just, 
Ebert has some has some misses. It's like Full Metal Jacket, where I I, I side back oh, yeah. with Sizzle. I'm just like Jeez. Ebert, you're out of your lane. What are you talking about? <laughs> but he yeah he would but he sometimes would would then come around on them as well and say like, yeah I got this wrong sorry. Although he said he said Buffalo sixty six is just the best or whatever, so he's he's gone for he's dead for me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, on that note, how about we just go through our final takes on this before I incriminate myself even more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Uh, Cotero, what do you think? I mean, I know it's a masterpiece, so but you know, like, give me something. <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is a movie I could actively recommend to people, but if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're into weird stuff and you're into creative. Uh, I think in my early my with my first letterbox review, I wrote that it was just performance insanity, and it really is. It's just everywhere. It's unhinged. There isn't a framework, even though even though there should be because of like Faust and Phantom <laughs> of the Opera. This De Palma doesn't give a shit about any of those. He is just using them to as as you know cogs or, or, or pieces of machinery to just form this goddamn beast, and it's it's awesome. That that's it. Awesome. <laughs> that's all you could say. Nick, final final thoughts. This is for all the weirdos out there. It's it's a trip. It's a fun time. I do I just think it's 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 flawed. It's messy and and, and not necessarily in a in a good way most of the time. But I just still think it's very much worth a watch. It is very exciting. It is very inspiring. And it should. I hope it can move people to make more exciting and moving and vibrant and kinetic movies like this because we need more voices behind the camera that go like, "Yes, I want to make weird shit <laughs> with something like something as eclectic and just as varied as this film, like a horror, dark comedy, musical, rock opera." So you don't get shit like this anymore. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It is, you know, it's like oh, it's a trip. It is a trip. Like the the, the Blu-ray box set for this should come for like a strip of LD and LSD and a glow in the dark dildo or something like this. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just to just to get you in the mood. Like this is that's the promo like... tweet right there. <laughs> <laughs> like here all week, kids. <laughs> I also do children's parties and bar mitzvahs. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, no, I'm yeah. Uh, my sense of humor is gonna get me get me in trouble one day. It's not today, <laughs> unless unless some Cisco apologies are gonna come at me. <laughs> Just Christ. Um, anyway, Phantom of the Paradise is great. It's a great surprise. It was a great surprise for me. It's a great trip, and I honestly feel like yeah, it's. It's a smarter film that people the people people miss the boat on this big style, and I'm super happy it has a cult following around it. And even with that cult following, I have a feeling that there's a lot of it's kind of all, almost purely aesthetic, as in like this is such a cool camp experience. But I've, I feel like there's there's this film has a beating heart, and this heart is aching for 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 the artistic sort of integrity of of storytellers, musicians, screenwriters, directors, actors who are uh, ruined by um, bloodthirsty you know producers vampires and devils and i'm pretty sure swan has a strap on i don't know i can feel that i'm <laughs> a strap on guy <laughs> it's, just, it's, 
it's very it's late in here <laughs> anyway so anyway so it's a great film i'll put it that way um top threes Cordero. all right top three um the opening of the paradise mm-hmm. uh which is you know the the climax as i'd say and then literally just every sequence with the phantom every time he shows up um wh- whatever antics he's up to is when the movie is is working the best for me it, he's just so much fun the car bomb sequence what when he kills beef with the lightning bolts those uh you know those uh zo- you know drastic zoom ins where he's up on the balcony right before especially right before he sets off the car bomb like he is just the funnest part of this um <laughs> and i especially love his like creation what that pov sequence where he's walking up those stairs going into the costume room and kind of putting together this iconic costume it's just awesome he is my favorite part of this <laughs> without a doubt awesome nick wait top three i i, I love the prison escape scene because it's so like out of nowhere and random and it works it's just hilarious it's like a benny hill sequence Yes, and I I also love the the two times that that uh, he goes to the office of Swan, and the, everything is so tiny. <laughs> He's like towering over the desk. He has to crouch to enter under the doors. It's 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 hilarious, and the fact that it just ends up destroying the whole set is just mwah, delightful. The the, the uh, plastic door that falls on the ground and you think that this is supposed to be made of glass and it's clearly like plexiglass. <laughs> it's so cheap i love it uh, and uh, last one i love the opening like the opening song sets the entire mood for everything but it's kind of like this old timey song from the 50s but then like this the singers are way too much into it <laughs> and then they start like punching people in the audience and banging a chick and it's like, like what's happening here <laughs> it's let's just say it puts you in a mood that's perfect for the rest of the movie <laughs> Oh, amazing. Right, okay. I had four things I couldn't decide, so I'm going to take out this uh, split-screen sequence because we were just talking about it, so I'm not going to include it. So I've got... This time I just have three. Usually I have, like, mm. seven. So the Probably. the entire the entire assassination scene when Philbin gets the bullet in the face where he's looking like the Pope and the music's blaring, people are dancing, and there's these people with this facial disfigurements just just walking around people are screaming and then it's such a chaos it's a great scene it's almost like a proto carry sort of finale um another one that one honestly haunts me like emotionally that's the making the voice scene where he's just just giving him his own voice while he's just i don't know he's just he's singing with 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 the sort of remnants of a human voice that he has through Mm -hmm. his metal teeth as well it's great but then there's something we only touched on briefly, the, the, the shower scene. The shower scene is the best. He's just a complete scene where he goes and he has a shower cap. Beef has a shower cap. He goes and he has a sort of backhand sort of soap maneuver, just like whoop. <laughs> and then you see that the phantom, and you know what's going to happen. Like it's, oh, it's, a, oh, it's a psycho scene because it's a diploma film. It's great. And then he just opens the curtain with a knife and he gives him a plunger to the face. <laughs> Fucking amazing! <laughs> I was just, I was just like the plunger to the face was just great because I honestly expected just you know like if it that came just like oh guts on the floor eviscerated just or whatever. But no, he gets a he gets a plunger to the face. It's great. Only Phoenix can sing Faust, can sing my cantana. 
<laughs> and he just packs his shit and goes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets talked out of it like immediately. He's down there. He's like, he's like, there's a there's a phantom up there. I ain't I ain't singing no dead man's music. And he's like, well, well, do you think you could sing it anyways? He's like, yeah, I can sing it anyways. And then he's back up there singing. <laughs> Which, by the way, just leads me to think so little. when 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 he's butchering the song when they're trying to teach him the song, and he's really butchering the singing beef as in like, and it's just like I can't sing. This is clearly written for a woman. I can't I can't sing sing that high. And this one girl's like, you know, drop an octave, make it your own. As in like, it's not your own. <laughs> it's just like you're just dropping an octave. But it's just sort of the sort of oh yeah, well. I'm dispensing because it's my music. It's not really mine, but I'm telling you, I can do whatever the hell you want with it. So make it your Yeah, that's what I'm doing with it. Yeah. It's such a great, such a great film. Bottom three moments, people. I'm grasping at straws here. I feel bad because Niccolo brought this up as one of his top, but the opening song or most of the beach bum stuff, (laughs) if I had to pick. This happens a lot, by the way goofy <laughs> does it really yeah, yeah god and then we we touched on this too uh just the videotape devil sequence i think i, mm. I it's it's great i really enjoy it it's just in the moment it just feels so in a movie that's bizarre you really notice when something it feels bizarre um and then uh i guess phoenix giving into swan immediately would be my my third one just kind of her personality just changing immediately i it goes with the vibe of, you know, what Winslow did and really just what Swan's control, right? But it it, it just feels so sudden. Mm-hmm. It just happens so immediately. And that's it for me. Awesome. Nick, what's your bottom yeah, three? Let's see yeah. if you if you have some of mine in there. No, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> so I, I some of them I mentioned before, like the surveillance system is just confusing. Especially if you take into account the bathtub scene, it's like, how did he record the devil tempting him? How does that work? Whatever. Is this, is this like the makeup and blow up again? A blowout, sorry. No, it's no, like, yet. I don't understand where the camera is. <laughs> no, the makeup in blowout is my next point. So they're they're doing the whole opening of the paradise, and they're all dressed. In mm-hmm. just this weird, like Frankenstein costumes, whatever, and then Beef dies, and Phoenix, who was fully dressed in costume, just drenched in makeup. She just has no makeup now. How? When did she change it? it took like one minute. That was a lot of makeup. It's gonna take like half an hour. It's like Movie no magic. It's it's a plot hole. It's a plot hole. It's massive. It ruins the film for me. I don't like it. We, we needed thirty minutes of her taking the makeup off. I I need I need shots of just her removing the makeup. But why will she be removing the makeup? They're still doing the show. Doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> and lastly, lastly, I mentioned this before, but just. The Phantom spying on Phoenix and Swan kissing each other goes on for like 25 minutes. It could have no, been spent doesn't. on showing Phoenix removing her makeup. It's a waste of runtime. It's just, it's not worth it. By this logic, it. this film takes three days to complete. <laughs> you know, it might be worth it. You know, it's just for consistency's sake. <laughs> Niccolo experiences Winslow 
I mean, he gets caught by the police, crack gets put on him, and then he's immediately sentenced, and then he's immediately in jail. But it, it but it comes up, it says six months later, so Nicolo's just like, it's fine, that's it's perfect. It's fine, yeah, especially with just, we're going to replace your teeth with metal teeth, and he's just like, I guess so. fine. I suppose, and, and Nicolo's like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, totally if only that. Because the man explained it, that they're going to do this. They didn't say why, but they're going to do this. Okay, that's great. Yeah. If, if only a, a text came on the screen uh, right before Phoenix came out and said 30 minutes later, and in parentheses, Phoenix is taking off her makeup. She needs this time. <laughs> you and just don't be... go over scenes like that. <laughs> some some elements are important, I mean, it's just this the Palma hack. You and your slow cinema. Yes. Yes. Palma doesn't understand women and makeup. God. Yeah. He just because he just thinks they wake up fully ma- in full makeup anyway. Maybe that's what he thinks. And still say they have no makeup. And this Gosh. is why Jin Siskel didn't like the film. <laughs> he understands me. I've always said it. My favorite. This is why critic. De Palma had him killed. Him and Carpenter <laughs> probably didn't. Now we've established this, unless this is a cover up. Jesus. They really had him whacked. Jakub, bottom three. <laughs> Just... Jesus. I mean, he he was a beloved character, but holy shit, his takes were, 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 were rubbish. I don't know. Anyway, okay, bottom three. I need to do this. Okay, none of them were mentioned, so I'm going to do this. The orbiting shot of Winslow playing and singing in the beginning of the film has the worst lip sync in the world. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like you yes. can see, this William Finley has no idea how to sing it, so he just mouths shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, or, I don't know. Or maybe he just sang it on, on. Or he was distracted with the cameraman just doing laps around him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Um, okay, another one. The POV sequence where Winslow's just walking toward. He's finding his lair, and there are these two bouncers going like. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just run away. away. They just, just never tell anybody about it, and they didn't tell anyone. Like, like see, this is the kind of logical holes that I have a problem with. Not just like, <laughs> like, why didn't they just like? There's this disfigured guy who just scared the shit out of me, and he's in the building. What do we do? Don't tell. Don't tell boss. He's gonna be pissed. <laughs> but the the weirdest scene, and I don't know how to say. It says when Beef's making a face when he exits the coffin, he does the. <laughs> like why <laughs> like they show him in a coffin by the way first and foremost in, at an airport he's in a coffin they open the coffin and it goes like he, he gives gives this sort of hiss like it's weird it's a failed failed reference to Caligari <laughs> Cesare does he make a noise no because it's a it's silent, silent film <laughs> Exactly. I was like, "What noise would he have made? What did he, what did Void do on set? Probably that noise." Could you imagine, like, on the set in the the sound the sound that the somnambulist made was like, <laughs> it was just like the most ridiculous yawn. <laughs> ah, and this is why silent films were silent because these people could not fucking articulate themselves. <laughs> It's not the technology. It's the... No, no, they knew exactly. It's just like they sounded like they're fresh off the boat and they're just like, you can't, can't have them. <laughs> oh. Okay. Jesus Christ, I can't do it. Anyway, 
Phantom of the Paradise can be rented and purchased from all major vendors as well as acquired physically. Again, uh, <laughs> I think it's a good Arrow release in the UK, though I don't know. If, is it available in the US as a Criterion? It's it's a Shout Factory? It's a Shout Factory. Okay, well, yeah, okay. So it's it's probably going to be the same master as the Arrow release in, in the UK. Yeah, so what worth getting, I would say. Um, yeah, and if you have, if if you're in the market where Arrow has a presence, get it because the box is amazing as well. So I think this is it. This episode of the Uncut Gems podcast. Where can we find you all on social media, Cordero? Tell us where can we find you. I am Mez1995 on Letterbox, and I write about movies, and that's it. That's amazing. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, awesome. Nick. Nick, where 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 are you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NickyBrian97, and there you can find me Linktree, Linktree forward slash Enjoy the Movies, which has links to everything that I do, every, all of my writing, all of my short films and videos. And also, you can follow and listen the Death by Adaptation podcast, where two, every two weeks we just pick a book and then contrast and compare it to its cinematic adaptations. Like Fifty Shades of Grey. For instance, just saying. Yes, Fifty Shades. <laughs> Call me by your ever. name is coming out in just two days, so you know, Ooh. stay tuned. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and you can find me at Talk About Film on Twitter, at Jakub Flash on Letterbox, and you can read my stuff on Clapper and on FlashOnFilm.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And Facebook also has at, at Uncut Gems Pod. And then, Yay. yeah, at one point we're going to get banned from some of these platforms. So it's going to be less <laughs> stuff to follow because, you know, <laughs> it's like the, the showgirls real show up on Instagram. We're going to get banned because there's just tits everywhere. <laughs> it's just, just, yeah. Pushing boundaries, man. Pushing, Someone yeah, exactly. has to do it. Stop being prudes. Let, you know, let, let the puppies out. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, anyway, so if yeah, you can also go to our website uncutgemspodcast.com to find out about all our episodes, get links to all these platforms where we're on, and then to find what we're doing on Patreon as well. And speaking of Patreon, you can also you know subscribe to our Patreon over at patreon.com/uncutgemspod. Three bucks a month buys you quite a lot of stuff, and also. What will help us a lot uh, is if you rate or review the show. So if you if the app you're listening through allows you to give a star rating or leave a review, just leave us a review. If it's a one-star review, don't leave us a review. <laughs> because, you know, so, you know, just, just move on with your day. It's fine. Like, if you don't like it, if you don't like what we're doing and you're still here, like, I appreciate the, the torture but yeah yeah so, so there's that you can also send us an email your hate mail directly is directed to uncutgemspod at gmail.com so if you have something to say about what I think about Gene Sisko I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I mean I like him <laughs> okay but you know like he didn't like this film so he has, a, he has I don't know I have a problem I have a bone to pick with him uh, yeah and then also we can buy us a coffee at coffee.com slash uncutgemspod so that's ko-fi.com slash uncutgemspod and then I already told you about the Patreon so look out for our upcoming episodes about the uh, Jalo retrospective and uh, David Lynch marathon installment number three where we'll be talking about Dune or June as, uh, as it's uh, as it's pronounced in the, uh, the UK anyway <laughs> So, and then also just be sure to get there to listen to our blowout um, episode, which is a real blowout. So, there's that. 
Uh, and also be sure to tune in next week to, the, to our main show as well. We'll be continuing our De Palma journey by moving up a decade to the 80s and talking about the wildly controversial uh, Dressed to Kill. So look out for that. And in the meantime, I hope you have a fabulous day and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.